Well, the context is this. Jesus has gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's the first Passover of Jesus's public ministry. He's just turned all that water into all that wine at the wedding reception of Cana in Galilee. And then Jesus goes to the Passover in Jerusalem and starts to speak about the kingdom of God and starts to perform miraculous signs and wonders. That's what we're told at the end of John chapter 2. Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem. He's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's doing signs. He's doing wonders. And word begins to get round, a bit like Edinburgh during August. Uh, There's the best newcomer award and this is the best newcomer award for the best new rabbi word begins to spread around about this person called Jesus who's come from this place called Nazareth in the north nothing good comes from the north and people start to get inquisitive what's going on who is this guy called Jesus and then into the scene comes this guy called Nicodemus Nicodemus comes by night. The Gospel of John is full of different allegories and symbolism, and the the, the tension between darkness and light runs right through the Gospel of John. At nighttime, we're told, Nicodemus came, and he comes in order to speak with Jesus. Now, as I've said before, I'm a trained professional theologian. And I want to share with you a deep, deep insight this morning that John chapter 2 comes before John chapter 3 that comes before John chapter 4. And that's, I know it's deep, isn't it? Um, What's happening is, is that John is deliberately contrasting two encounters with the person of Jesus. One takes place that we'll look at this morning in John chapter 3. One takes place that we'll look at next week in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And what John is doing is setting up this, not tension, but this dynamic between these two groups of people, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Nicodemus, who's he? Well, he is a man. He is a Jewish man, and he is a named Jewish man. He's living in the city. He's living in Jerusalem. Nicodemus is the consummate insider, if you like. We're told that he is a Pharisee and he is a member of the Sanhedrin. That meant that he was like a sort of combination of a bishop, an MSP, and a high court judge. That's who Nicodemus was. So he's a Pharisee, and then the word literally means separated ones, And he's also in the Sanhedrin. He is in the elite of the elite. This guy would have been in the Edinburgh New Club. No problem at all. He was right at the heart of the establishment. He's religious. He's orthodox. He's rich. He's devout. He's successful. He's wealthy. He's disciplined. He's moral. He's admired. He's open-minded. And he's somebody who is willing to risk his own reputation in order to come and meet with Jesus. So that's Nicodemus, the consummate insider. Next week, we'll look at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. What do we know about her? She's a woman, she's a Samaritan, and she's a foreigner. But she's anonymous. 
We're never told her name. She's an outsider. She's disreputable. She's a heretic. She's someone who risks the reputation of Jesus in talking with him. Nicodemus risks his own reputation in coming to Jesus, albeit by night. But the woman risks the reputation of Jesus in talking with him. And what John is doing is setting up these two people, Nicodemus and the woman by the well, and saying whether you're an insider or whether you're an outsider, Jesus is for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter where you're going. Jesus is for everybody. But Nicodemus comes, verses 1 and 2. And although he comes at night in secret, at least he comes. And he comes humbly. His opening gambit to Jesus is, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. No one could do the signs that you're doing unless they came from God. He doesn't need to call Jesus Rabbi, Master, Teacher. But he does. That's the title that he gives to Jesus, Rabbi. We know you are a teacher come from God. He's heard the rumors, he's curious, but he wants to see for himself. Perhaps Nicodemus is feeling what lots of religious people sometimes feel, that for all his membership of the Sanhedrin, for all his status as a Pharisee, for all his adherence to the Jewish law, he feels that something isn't quite right. He feels a tension in his life. For, for all that he knows about God, he recognizes that there's a disparity between what he knows about God and the life that he lives. I don't know about you, but, but I find that. I've been a Christian for 39 years this month. 39 years ago, walking home from a train station, um, back from a, a youth group meeting after an evening service at a Baptist church just south of Manchester, I prayed a prayer to God and said, okay, God, if you're there, let's give it a go. It wasn't a very orthodox prayer. It wasn't the prayer that you're supposed to pray, uh, but it seemed to work and it seemed to take, and 39 years later, I'm still here. But I have to confess something to you this morning, that the more I go on as a Christian, that the more religious I become, the more I get into the church, and, and now 39 years later, I went from being a, a Baptist to now being an Anglican canon of a cathedral and, and being allowed to wear a pair of curtains on special occasions at the cathedral, you can't really get more religious and more sort of establishment than the pair of curtains that was used at the coronation of a king uh, in some time in the last century, in the 1930s. That's what I get to wear when I go to the cathedral. And I feel very religious when I wear that pair of curtains I look pretty stupid, but I do feel very religious. But the longer I'm a Christian, I feel that disparity. I feel that difference between what I know about God and the life that I live. I know that the life that I live is not the life all the time that Jesus wants me to live. That there are things in my life that aren't what Jesus wants me to do. And I wonder whether Nicodemus felt that tension, 
felt that dissatisfaction that even though he was religious, even though he was trying to keep all these Jewish laws and the Pharisees added law after law after law, as over 400 rules and regulations that they had uh, dreamt up or interpreted from the Jewish law, they still felt that deep sense of dissatisfaction and disparity between what they knew about God and the life that they were living. So perhaps that's why Nicodemus came by night to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one could do what you're doing unless they came from God. And that's when Jesus drops this bombshell. That's when Jesus comes out with a statement that we've become a bit sort of immune to over the last 40 or 50 years. Because there's one particular phrase in the the, the answer that Jesus gives that, that we've become so desensitized to. Because Jesus turns to Nicodemus and says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now we hear those words and immediately all sorts of connotations come into our mind's eye and and, and it resonates with us because we've heard the term born again Christian. This was the first time that anybody had heard that phrase. So for Nicodemus... It didn't come with all the connotations that it comes to with us. What it came to with Nicodemus was a slap, a slap in the face. I'm telling you that no one can see, can, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, for us, as I say, it has connotations. It has connotations theologically. Um, it has connotations in the U.S. in particular, politically, what it means to be a born-again Christian. But for Nicodemus, the reply that Jesus gives him would have stopped him in his tracks. You see, he presumed that his place in the kingdom of God was secure. He was devout. He was orthodox. He was religious. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. If nobody, well, of all the people in Jerusalem gathered there for Passover, he was probably the one person who thought that he was most qualified to be in the kingdom. If he wasn't in the kingdom, then nobody was in the kingdom. The irony, of course, is who he was talking to that night that who he was talking to was the king of kings and the lord of lords, the person who is actually in charge of the kingdom. But Nicodemus thought, if anyone's in the kingdom, I'm in the kingdom. I'm a Jew. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. I'm orthodox. I'm respectable. I'm wealthy. I'm dot, 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 dot. And Jesus' reply would would have stung Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, or unless you're born from above, You cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? That that word can be translated either born again or born from above. If it's again, well, Jesus is saying that you have to undergo almost something like a physical birth, rebirth. Nicodemus comes back to him and says, well, someone can't re-enter their mum's womb when they're old i.e., this doesn't make any sense, Jesus, because look at me, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to go back, much to the relief of my mother. I mean, I can't go back 
I'm too big. I'm, I'm, I'm too old. I can't be physically put back into my mother's womb. So how can I be born again? What Jesus is saying is something even more radical than he goes on to say in a few weeks' time where someone comes to talk to him about the nature of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you become childlike, not childish, but childlike, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus says here is actually more radical. Because what Jesus is saying here is, unless you become like a fetus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you become like a fetus. No wonder Nicodemus comes back and goes, what? What are you talking about? How can this happen? But if you think about it, a fetus doesn't do a lot during the birth process. The person who does most of the work in labor is the mother. Fathers also do. I was really tired uh, after, after each of uh, our children being born, so tired that I had to pinch the, the tea and toast uh, that was provided by the hospital, so much so that Kathy didn't get it uh, on either or any of the occasions when uh, she was giving birth to our kids. But fathers work hard, and my hand was really sore where Kathy had been squeezing it for a few hours. But the reality is that mums do most of the work. A fetus doesn't actually do a lot. A fetus just has to sit there, lie there. And life is a gift. The baby is pushed out. And the baby is born. And the baby almost has nothing at all to do with it. The baby's involved, obviously. But the baby plays little or no part in it. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to receive life on my terms. You have to receive entering the kingdom on my terms. You have to receive it as a gift. It's, it's not about you trying to impress God. It's not about how religious you are, Nicodemus. It's not about whether you're orthodox or, or whether you're a member of the Sanhedrin or, or whether you're a Pharisee or whether you're an Anglican canon of a cathedral or how many times you come to church or how many hours you sign up for in the week of prayer. It's not about you impressing God so that somehow God answers your prayers and my prayers in the way that we think he should that somehow God owes us. This is about living life on God's terms. This is about receiving life on God's terms. And Nicodemus didn't understand that. Nicodemus thought it was all about keeping the rules and the regulations and about who you were, rather than simply actually affirming who Jesus is. That all the religious stuff can actually get in the way of living life on Jesus' terms. As Libby mentioned, this is, a, this is a sad time in the life of peace and Jesus. We've lost Ray, and Ray was, was part of this church community for 30 years, and uh, he was a great character, and he was a, an, an incredible illustration of somebody who had experienced God's grace 
in his life. He didn't have to be long in Ray's company to hear a story or two or three or four or five, sometimes with very colorful non-Christian language. And Ray would just tell you how life was. And I've been thinking over the last two or three weeks as it's become clear that, that Ray was nearing the end of his life and Ray knew where he was going. His flat had been decorated. Uh, and when someone went to see him and said, your flat's looking nice, uh, Ray said, yeah, it's looking nice, but where I'm going next is even better. He knew where he was going. And Ray sometimes battled with God, often, daily, um, I remember talking to him about the fact that life was coming to an end. And I remember Ray, a couple of weeks ago, just looking at me and saying, when those angels come, they better come tooled up. <laughs> because he wasn't going to go without a struggle. But Ray knew that life had to be lived on God's terms. And that even though it was something that he wrestled with, even though it was something that he struggled with, even though that things happened to Ray and to Ray's friends and family that Ray did not understand, Ray was willing to trust God because Ray knew how much he owed God. You see, Nicodemus came not realizing that he needed forgiveness and he needed a savior and he needed God's grace in his life. Ray knew more than Nicodemus did. Because Ray knew what it was for his life to be transformed by the grace, by the gift of God working in his life. Ray had no illusions. One of the things I think that we uh, appreciated about Ray is that Ray would tell it like it is. Ray was very good at seeing through people and seeing whether they were authentic or whether they were inauthentic. And he used to love it when the church gathered. He used to love Alpha. Uh, served on Alpha, so many Alpha courses. For years and years and years, he was setting up Alpha, setting the tables, being out in the foyer, welcoming people. Remember a few years ago, um, him uh, realizing that some guests were coming in, and uh, these guests were not people who normally frequented P's and G's. Uh, one of them was certainly a drug dealer. Uh, the two friends that they came with uh, were certainly under the influence of substances that were not within the law. And they were, not, uh, they were under the influence that particular night. And Ray made sure that they were, were directed in and they, they sat down at a table. And I remember standing at the back of, of the room with Ray and we looked at these three people sitting with the two members of the Alpha team and unbeknownst to the three people who were there, one of whom was a drug dealer and two were certainly under the influence. One was the chief constable and uh, one was uh, a, a, another member of uh, Lothian and Borders' uh, finest. And Ray just looked at me with a smile on his face and said, if only they knew. <laughs> But that was Ray. He knew what it was for a life to be transformed by God's grace. He was under no illusions. Nicodemus, at this point, was still under the illusion that actually all this religious stuff mattered. And Jesus goes on to tell him and help him understand by, by giving him two illustrations. One is theological and one was meteorological. 
He spoke about the fact that the kingdom is actually about being worn of water and the spirit. He refers back to Ezekiel chapter 36, a scripture that Nicodemus would have known. And, and he says, don't you remember that, that God speaks about people being worn of water and the spirit? And then he pointed to the wind and he said, look, you, you can't tell where the wind is coming from and you can't tell where the wind is going. And so it is with everybody born of the kingdom of God. If you've been watching... Uh, the news this week will have seen people, whether it's the hurricane in the United States or whether it's the typhoon in the Philippines, we've seen weather forecasters desperately trying to predict where the wind is going. And they've got those very fancy computer graphics trying to explain where the hurricane's going to hit in the North or South Carolinas or, or where the typhoon's going to hit in the Philippines. And as you've, perhaps like me, watched it each day this week, it's changed direction. And, and it's as though the, the hurricane or the typhoon is going, you think I'm going to go there? Well, actually, I'm going to go over here. You think I'm going to go over here? Well, actually, I'm going to go over there. And that's actually what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you see the wind, but you don't know where it comes from. And you don't know where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is the kingdom of God is bigger, more mysterious, more enigmatic, more surprising than you or I will ever understand. Because the clue is in the name. It's the kingdom of God. Jesus never defines what the kingdom of God is. If you think about it, story after story after story, what Jesus said was the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. Because Jesus knew that we can't actually fully understand and will never fully understand what the kingdom of God really is. And so what Jesus is doing with all these different stories is he's giving us insights, windows, so that we can begin to build up a picture of what the kingdom of God is like, but we won't know until we actually see Jesus face to face, either when we die or when he returns, what the kingdom of God actually is. Because the kingdom of God is bigger, more mysterious, more surprising than you or I will ever understand. And then finally, Jesus helps Nicodemus. Nicodemus really doesn't understand verse 9. He says, how can this be? Jesus comes back with this stinger. He says, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. So he gives him another, he throws him another theological bone. And he says, well, if he didn't get Ezekiel 36 and you're Israel's teacher, you're in the Pharisees, you're in the Sanhedrin, you're Israel's teacher. If you don't get Ezekiel 36, I'm going to throw you Numbers 31. And Numbers 31 is a story where, Jesus, where Moses is with the people of Israel, and they rebel against God, and they rebel against Moses. And God sends this plague of snakes, which start to bite all the people. And Moses is so distressed by this, he cries out to God and says, God, please, please forgive these people. Please help these people. Please save these people. And God gives him this really, really strange instruction. 
He says, I want you to take some bronze, and I want you to cast it into the form of a snake. I want you to to put that snake on a pole, and I want you to hold the snake up on the pole. And then whenever anybody looks at the bronze snake on the pole, they will be healed and saved from the snake bites. And it's a really weird story. Because think about where these people were. They were in the wilderness. They were in the desert. It's not as if they're round the corner from B&Q or home base. It's not as though there's a bronze workshop just on the corner of the street where they are. It would have taken Moses time to find and fashion and heat up the fire and to, to create the bronze and then, and, and then cast the bronze into the, the shape of a snake and then let the, the bronze snake cool down so that they can put it on the pole and then stick at the pole up. And all the time, people were being bitten by the snakes. You see, God's remedy wasn't instant. God's remedy didn't come quickly. The people had to live with the consequences of what they'd done. And they had to live and accept life and even healing and even forgiveness on God's terms. And Nicodemus does not understand it. Nicodemus does not understand it. And actually, we don't hear about Nicodemus for another three years. Nicodemus' story finishes with Jesus telling him about Moses and the bronze snake and saying that just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness and the people that looked at the bronze snake were saved, so it will be when the Son of Man is lifted up. And we don't hear from Nicodemus. John immediately moves on. Some people think it's the words of Jesus. Um, Some people think it's like a commentary Uh, from John 3 verse 16 onwards to the end of the chapter in that famous verse for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life that John 3 16 is actually John's commentary on what Jesus has just said and John goes on to speak about Jesus coming not to bring judgment but forgiveness and salvation and People bring, bringing things from the darkness into the light. And we don't hear from Nicodemus again for three years. And it's not until the evening of the first Good Friday, when Jesus has been put to death on the cross, and Joseph of Arimathea comes forward and says to Pilate, please will you give me the body of Jesus? Because I want to take the body of Jesus and anoint it in spices, and I want to put the body of Jesus in my tomb, that we're told that somebody else comes along with Joseph of Arimathea. And the person who comes along with Joseph of Arimathea is Nicodemus. Because three years later, when Nicodemus finally sees the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, he understands it. And he understands what Jesus had been talking about three years before. And maybe over the next three years, he 
spends more time listening to Jesus and watching Jesus and seeing Jesus perform miracles and watching Jesus do signs and wonders. And then it doesn't actually, the penny, the denarii, doesn't actually drop until he sees Jesus on the cross. And then he remembers. That was the rabbi three years ago who told me that just as Moses was lifting up that bronze snake on the pole, the Son of Man would have to be lifted up. And as he sees Jesus on the cross, he suddenly understands that the kingdom of God is here, that the kingdom of God is now, and the kingdom of God is living inside us. Because Nicodemus, like a good Jew and like lots and lots of Christians, thought that the kingdom of God would come at the end of the world, at the end of history, and missed the fact that Jesus again and again and again said the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And that eternal life is not just about a quantity of life, but it's actually about a quality of life that begins here and now. And Nicodemus finally perhaps began to understand it and publicly, riskily, was willing to own his allegiance to the person of Jesus. So what does this story have to say to us? This story has to say very simply that Jesus is for everyone. Whether you feel an insider or an outsider this morning, Jesus is available for you. But also this story speaks about the fact that the kingdom of God is here and now. And entry into the kingdom of God has to be on God's terms. You and I have to become like a fetus in order to enter the kingdom of God. That life is now lived on God's terms, not on our terms. Because we live under the rule, the reign, the authority of Jesus. And that's what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. And that this kingdom is bigger, more mysterious, and at times more unpredictable than we will ever understand this side of eternity. But the entry into the cross is not simply on God's terms, but it is only and simply as we look to the Son of Man who was lifted up on the cross. And it's not about all the religious stuff. It's not about the prayers. It's not about the worship songs. It's not about how many times we come to church. It's not about how many hours we sign up for in the week of prayer. It's not even if we're a canon of an Anglican cathedral. But actually, it's about coming to the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, I accept you on your terms, and I accept your life on your terms. And next Saturday morning, we will gather to celebrate and give thanks for a life that was lived out in that way because Ray knew that both earth and heaven had to be lived on God's terms. And Ray's challenge and example for you and for me is, are we willing to do the same? It will mean different things for us, but are we willing to embrace and wrestle with God's grace?